Amen. Good morning. Have a seat. So typically I'm not like the, the smiley guy, but this morning I'm really smiley. Um, I'm not really sure why, but I think it has to do with the fact that I'm really excited to preach this message. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can open it to Psalm 62. If you don't have a Bible but would like one, there's some on the table back there, um, and we'd like to give that to you. If you don't even have a Bible at all, or if you don't have a Bible this morning, we'd like to give that to you. Uh, it's an ESV version, which is what we'll be preaching out of this morning. So if you want one, just raise your hand, and, and Jeff, our lovely worship leader, will bring one to you. Uh, Look at him back there, lovely, holding Bibles in his hands. Actually, he's only holding a Bible in one hand, not hands. Uh, anyway, Psalm 62. Turn there, if you would. And um, this is one of, if, if you've been with us for a while, you know that this year for us really has been a, a year for us directing our minds and our hearts towards prayer. And one of the things, the tools to do that with are the Psalms, and that's kind of why we, we, we got to this series that we're in, the Summer of Psalms, was because we want to reinforce that in the middle of the year, as the, the Psalms really help us know what and how to pray. And, and this Psalm is a product, and this, this sermon even, is, is a product of, of my own heart pressing into that idea that this is a year of prayer, and this is a year of the Psalms shaping and molding our prayers. And so this morning is a reflection of that. This kind of is, is back from sometime in, in March or so when, when this Psalm kind of came into my, my being, and, and I couldn't shake it ever since then. Um, so it's, it's exciting for me to get to, to share what God has shared with me, with you all, this morning. Um, I want to bring a quote for you. Throw that quote up there. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in... In this book, he's got some meditations on the Psalms, and I'll read some uh, extended passage from that in a second. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this about the Psalms. The only way to understand the Psalms is on your knees. The whole congregation praying words of the Psalms with all its strength. And I think that's really what I want out of this morning, what I think God is guiding us to this morning, that we all gather and come together as a congregation, as a set-apart body of, of believers in this time, in this place, in this region, in North County, together to have this psalm shape what and how we pray. You follow that? And that, that's, this, this quote is that kind of the direction for us, and so that we're going to meditate and think and learn how to meditate and learn how to think about what this psalm is saying to us and how it's trying to, to shape and mold our prayers and what we value and how we value things. And, and we'll get to that in a bit. But ultimately, us here today is praying that God would enlighten our hearts so that we might be unified in our prayer and how we visualize and see the world. All right? So that's sort of the direction that we're going. So Psalm 62. The, this is a, a psalm of David, and it's uh, probably a song that was sung. And the first two verses are just like uh, verses later on, and they're sort of the refrain, the chorus of, of this song that's written by David. And, and I said this last week, and I've said this a couple of times throughout the series, is when we read the psalm and study the psalm, we need, we do well to connect with this fact. This was written by David 
for the congregation of the Hebrew church thousands of years ago. So as we connect with this psalm, we connect with a congregation that was led by the prophets thousands of years ago. They did the very same thing that we're going to do right now. Studied, connected with the word of God through this psalm. So let's, let's get to it. We're going to go slowly through this and then bring out a couple of points of application as we, uh, as we conclude. Psalm 62, verse 1. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. I said slowly, so let's go slowly. We're going to, let's look at verse 1 here. And the, I want to, as we walk through here, two things that are happening. One, I want to teach this to our hearts. But two, I want to allow, as we teach this to our hearts, to learn how to teach the Psalms to our own hearts and how to meditate on them. And this first verse is the whole point of why we're here this morning. And it's the whole point of the sermon. It's the whole point of our lives. And, and my prayer that's been this morning, I, I woke up this morning and began to, to refocus on, on what God wanted to say to us this morning. And it's this. This is the prayer. That God would, would like a dart shoot this idea, this concept in Psalm 62.1 deep and lodge it into our hearts so that we can't shake it. Like, like a, a cannonball, us standing at a cannonball just blowing us away and, and shaking the very foundation of who we are. To understand this first line and all that's here. For God alone. Here's how we meditate on a psalm. Just look at each one of the words and let them explode in our hearts. For God alone. I'm a, I'm a really busy guy with a really busy mind. And my mind is really distracted easily. Like today I've got a meeting and a baseball practice and... And my wife has to take a, my daughter to a, a dance recital, and, and what are we doing with Mia? And all these different, lots of stuff happening, distraction happening. Listen, right now, God is saying to you, find me alone. Leave aside distraction. At the very beginning of this message this morning, I want us to hear that. For God alone. For God alone. Push distraction aside. We'll see in a second, distraction for us is like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. It's going to fall. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. In a second, we'll talk about why we don't sit in silence, but it probably has a lot to do with the fact that we've got a lot happening in our lives and we're 2013 Americans and we don't just... Nobody knows how to just stop and sit in silence. If, I, if we did a, a little practice here, if we decided, okay, we're going to sit in silence for three minutes, that was like eight seconds. <laughs> we, we just don't know how to do this. We don't know how to be in silence. This week at, at my other job, I was, I took lunch and I, I walked into a park and, and took a long walk around this park and then went to a secluded part of a different park downtown, right by the ballpark. And 
Very few people are in this park, but it's beautiful. And I just sat there on the bench and just was quiet and listened to God. Take some time this week to be in silence before God. And that's really hard because your mind is going to go places and want to go places. But ask God to let you take, to let him take it to places. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. And, and here is the punchline. From him comes my salvation. From him comes my salvation. By the way, what, we're, what we've done so far, sitting in silence, thinking about that, and sit, for God alone, thinking about that, that's what we're calling Meditation. If you don't know how to do it, that's what we just did, and that's what we're currently doing. We're thinking, we're considering, we're looking at words, and we're, what do they mean, and allow them to kind of explode, and, and more than just a few letters gathered together to make a word called silence, or a few letters to make a word called alone, but allowing us to dig deep into what that word means. Now, this next statement, from him comes my salvation. From him God alone, from God alone comes my salvation, my hope, my rescue, my peace, my joy, my strength, my everything comes from him. Salvation is a big pregnant word filled with all kinds of meaning. You do well to write salvation on your journal and then just think about what that means. What words pop in your mind? Okay, let's do it. Practice right now. Go. Salvation. What, what words come to your mind? Mickey, say it louder. Saving. I heard rescue. Yeah, what else? Freedom, grace, yeah, cross, exactly. We're meditating right now, all right? Sometimes we get a little bit like, that's a weird word, that's like Eastern, and so we're not going to meditate, but meditation is, is a spiritual discipline that, that is absent most times from our lives. And meditation, really just seeing a word in Scripture and thinking about what it means, dwelling on what it means, and then allowing your mind to, to just chase rabbits, Grace, help, salvation, rescue, all those things are, are huge for us to really comprehend and get to the bottom of. And we're meditating on these things, and it explodes in our hearts. And what's happening as a product of this is the Word of God, like a cannonball, shakes our foundation and changes who we are. Like a dart lodging itself into the depths of our soul and changes how we view the world, how we view life. And here, at the top of Psalm 62, my, my, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my rescue, my grace, my salvation, my help, all those things. God is exploding into our minds the meaning of what he wants to communicate to us. Verse 2, he only is my rock, my salvation, my fortress, you see what we just did with salvation? David is doing with salvation. He says the same thing over again. He's my rock. He's my salvation. He's my fortress. Over again. Think. Dwell. Live. And the, the beautiful part about this is I don't know how to sit in silence before God. What do I think about? Well, he just told you what to think about. Think about his salvation. Think about the fact that he's your rock, your refuge, your strength. Think about what it means in, in an actual storm. Where do you want to run to? In an actual storm, where do you want to run to? 
a, a basement, someplace where you're going to be free from the danger. This is God. He is your rock, your salvation, your fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. I imagine like a painted Mel Gibson face saying that. I shall not be shaken. Seriously. You guys are giggling, but that's how I picture it. And this is how it, how it shakes us, shakes our core. I shall not. Do you realize that? In this world filled with distraction, filled with pain and broken people doing broken things to each other in a broken world with tornadoes and storms and rape and murder and lying people who are supposed to protect you and just angry, awful people. This is the world that we live in. David and God say to that, you will not, you will not be greatly shaken. Seriously, say amen louder, please. I shall not be greatly shaken. So that verses 1 and 2 are the refrain, the chorus for our song. Verses 3 and 4, we're getting into the verse. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? This is what I was just talking about. This broken world, broken people doing broken things to each other, telling us what to value. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, like a tottering fence. Do you guys ever play Jenga before? This is the world when we don't realize the strength in the fortress of God. Our lives are Jenga. Oh man, I can't pull this piece from here. It's all going to crash. But I've got to pull a piece from somewhere because it's my turn to pull a piece. You guys have played this before, right? I'm not alone. And so eventually it winds up, it starts like this tall. And then if, if you're really good at it, it winds up this tall. But it's like, please nobody even walk into the room because like a change in the, the atmosphere in any way is going to make this thing fall. And we can see that, and we've all, you know, like your very best game of Jenga, you got it like twice as tall, and like everything is on one piece, and like it's really great, you want to take a picture of it and send it to everybody you know, because it's so great, because it's so tottering. But this is exactly what, when we value what the world tells us to value, when we value what our flesh tells us to value, our lives are like a leaning wall, a tottering fence, a Jenga game. Verse 4, they only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly curse. This is a broken world that does broken things with one another. And when we don't understand and come to grips with this, our lives are this teetering fence, this Jenga game that could fall at any second. And again, this is a song. We just read the first verse, and now we go back to the chorus, the refrain, the same words, almost the same words in verses 1 and 2, which makes me think that this is something we need to pay attention to and listen to. David's putting it in here twice as a chorus. It's repetitive. It's redundant. Redundant in Scripture is redundant in Scripture for a purpose. It's meant to be that dart that God is shooting to lodge it deep into our hearts. And I hope you... The angst with which I'm talking here is intentional because we've got to understand this. We've got to connect with what's here. 
for God alone. I know I just said this, but for God alone, nothing else, for God alone, my soul wait in silence. This is a bit different. This is David really kind of trying to convince himself and his own soul to wait in silence. This is a lesson that we can learn. We do well to preach to ourselves, to teach ourselves to do what Scripture is calling us to do. David first states it in verses 1 and 2, and now here in these verses, verses 5 and 6, he's really trying to convince his own heart that this is where value lies. I'm not going to let the world or my flesh tell me what to value. I'm going to let God and the Spirit and Scripture teach me what to value. Oh God, my soul, wait in silence. He's telling his soul to wait in silence, for my hope is from him. It's interesting because in verse 1, in this refrain, he said, my salvation is from him. But here, hope, he kind of inserts hope synonymous with salvation. We talked about hope a couple of months ago, that it's this confident expectation of something that is to come. It's like watching a game on DVR. You can go back and watch game 6, 2011. The Cardinals are playing the Rangers this weekend, right? It's like I watched the game yesterday. They're showing all kinds of clips about it, okay? Every time, David Freeze is still going to hit that triple. Every time, David Freeze is still going to hit that home run. Every time, that's hope because we know what's coming. If, I, if like you see the crowd going crazy and David Freeze at the bat and I don't even know who the pitcher was, but a ranger pitching to him, you know what's going to happen, right? Every time, no matter how many times you watch David Freeze hit that ball, it's still going in the bushes in center field. Every time, that's hope. We know the confident expectation of what's happening, what's coming. My hope, my confident expectation is in him. This is what David is shooting a dart into his own heart and what I'm hoping shoots a dart into our own hearts, that it changes who we are, that the tottering fence of this world doesn't convince us that there's something in this world that we should value apart from God. Him alone, him alone, him alone. Our hope is found only from him. And again, then verse 6, the same. He is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. I shall not be shaken. There's all kinds of verses here. Let's remove ourselves from trying to study Psalm 62 and let's study the Psalms convincing us how to pray, showing us how to pray. This is one thing, as I did this back in March, this, this word, these, this phrase, I couldn't shake it from my mind for like a week. And that was my prayer to my own heart. I shall not be shaken. And I would say this to myself 10, 15, 20 times a day. I shall not be shaken. My kids are crazy. It's making me scream, making me be who I don't want to be. The still voice in my head, I shall not be shaken. Hardships and difficulties happening in my world, happening in my life, I shall not be shaken. See this ring, allow this to ring in your head over and over and over again. Pain, hardship, sickness in your lives. As your pastor, it breaks me to know when there's difficulty and hardship in your life. I shall not be shaken and neither shall you. Allow it to root into your heart. Verse 7, the second verse in our in our song, the opposite of the first verse, verses 3 and 4. 
Psalm 62, 7. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Understand that David isn't just writing a bunch of verses without any sort of connection to them. Verses 1 and 2 are the refrain. Verses 5 and 6 are the refrain. 3 and 4 are verses that are parallel to these verses here, 7 and 8. So 3 and 4 are parallel to 7 and 8. 3 and 4 are the, this is the tottering fence, Jenga stuff that life is awful when it's telling us what to value and we follow what the world tells us and our flesh tells us to value. Verses 7 and 8 are the inverse of that. On God rests my salvation, my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times. Don't allow your life to be the tottering fence. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. This is another phrase that just explodes into my mind. Pour out your heart before him. Pour out your heart before him. When was the last time you were really, really mad at God for something that happened in your life and you had the confidence in who he was and who you were in his eyes to say to him, God, I'm mad at you. Why did you allow this to happen? If he's really your refuge, if he's really your strength, if you're really confident that your hope is in him alone and he's not going to leave you forsake, you will not be greatly shaken, do you think that that God is big enough to take your little verbal insults of him? Yes. Pour out your heart to him. What's bothering you? What's hurting you? What's making you angry? Tell him. And see what happens. Then just, as it's telling us, sit in silence. God, why did you allow my dad to die? God, why did you, why did you do this to me? Why is my kid sick? Why is my wife crazy? Why is my husband crazy? Why is my job awful? God, it makes me so mad. Then just sit in silence and let him speak to your heart. Let him say, the life and the circumstances around you are a tottering fence. Don't trust in that. That's dumb. Trust in me. I'm the rock. I'm the refuge. I'm the stronghold. You will not be shaken. Interesting here. I didn't say this in, after verses 3 and 4, but this little word that we pass over a lot that ends a lot of the verses in Psalms, a little word called Selah. Do you guys know what Selah means? I hope you do. I hope a few of you do because I've, I've said it before here. You just stop and think about what you just read. So stop. Whenever, you, whenever you're reading a psalm and you see that word Selah, it's not just like some parenthetical reference. It's put there by the Spirit of God to tell our hearts to stop and reread, think about what you just read. Stop, think about that. God is a refuge for you. And if the Holy Spirit of God who, who penned these words in David's heart thinks we should stop and think about something, then let's stop and think about it. Every time you read the word Selah in Scripture, stop and think about what you just read. we got to press on. Verse 9. Thinking about the two different verses 
that we read, verses 3 and 4 is verse 1 of our song, verses 7 and 8 are verse 2 of our song. I wish there was a different word for verse, because verse in a song and verse in the scripture is maybe confusing us. It's confused me here. Verse 9 in the scripture, those of low estate are but a breath, and those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. No matter where you, what's this saying to us? No matter where you are in this tottering fence of life, whether what this world values you have achieved and you have success, or whether what this world values you have not achieved and you are a failure, all of it is a breath. All of it is a breath. It's gone in an instant. I wish it was really cold and we could go outside this afternoon and see our our breath, right? You know what I'm talking about? Like you see breath come out and then like how long is it before you don't see that anymore? The stuff this world values is a a breath. It's here, you see it for a second and then, then it's gone. The low estate are but a breath. The high estate are a delusion. And the balances they go up, they are together, both of them like a breath. Verse 10, put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Don't let this world tell you what to value. Don't let this world tell you how to gain things that don't have any value. Verse 11, we're getting back to the the point of, of what David has for us. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this. It's just a, a clever literary reference to say, pay attention. This is hap- I've, I've seen this happen. I've seen this true. That sort of literary reference happen, happens a lot in the Proverbs. Pay attention to what's about to be said. Is, that's this literary device. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this. Okay, what, it is, what is it that we need to pay attention to? The power belongs to God. The power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. To you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. I've said this many times. I'm going to say it again, what steadfast love is. Many times we we get confused. We only see half of what steadfast love is. Love that doesn't change is half of what steadfast love is. It won't change. No matter who you are, what you've done, or what you're about to do, the love of God does not change. Do we hear that? Does it allow that to to penetrate deep into our hearts? No matter who you are, what you've done, or what you're about to do, the love of God and his grace and his mercy and his peace and his hope and his joy does not change. It's half of steadfast love. The other half is it doesn't need to change to bring you complete and utter joy. I drive my wife crazy a lot of times, and she, if, if it were, like, if it were up to her, there'd be two or three things that probably change. And probably you would probably change a couple of things about your spouse or your children or whatever to make you more happy. Steadfast love means this. It doesn't need to change to give you its complete and full joy. Do you understand that? I liken it all the time to the NCAA basketball tournament, that first Thursday and Friday in March when there's like games on from 11 o'clock in the morning to midnight. I can't wait for it to happen. 
and it's going to be so great, so exciting. But like six hours in, I'm like, golly, I just want to vomit. I don't want to hear another basketball. Because the steadfast love that basketball gives to me needs to change. There's only so much of it until I want to vomit. There's only so much cake that you can eat before you need to vomit. That's not steadfast love. God's steadfast love does not need to change to give you its complete and full joy. And in God alone lies steadfast love. Reading from verse 12, the last statement. For you will render a man according to his work. What is it that we value? What do we value? So let's, let's go back here. Um, I want to read from you. I uh, got a little excited and forgot to read this passage. Uh, reading from, from Dietrich Bonhoeffer about this psalm, about what it means to find rest in God. My soul finds rest in God. What does that mean? It is so great and holy, yet one must speak of it in human terms. It is like an innocent child on his mother's breast, quiet and fulfilled with all his needs met. It is like a boy satisfied that he has seen his hero or his leader, like a child who feels the touch of his mother's hand on his forehead so that all of his troubles go away and he is at rest, like the man whose passion and unrest are stilled by the glance of his beloved. And like all of us, standing in reverent respect before the silence of nature beneath a starry heaven, thus should our soul be at rest from its turmoil and wildness and hate before the eye of God. Here, all thirst is quenched. Here, pleasure becomes blessedness. Longing finds its fulfillment. The hectic activity of the day finds rest in protecting shadow of God's hand. The burdens and troubles of the day fall away and become free and restful in the sight of God. Shed and silenced in worship and adoration, my soul finds rest in God. So let's think more about what it means to be silent and to find rest in God and, and why why don't we do it why are we silent before God why don't we seek him to find our rest why don't we do this application time first of all we don't know how if you don't know how to do something you don't do it so we don't know how to be silent before God and here's the thing I said it while we were doing it, especially in verses 1 and 2. We were meditating. When we were talking about what salvation means, we were meditating. We were being before God. Allow him, meditate on him, and then allow him to tell you what to think about. Sitting silent before God is dwelling on what he's said to you. And this is what a lot of times I don't think we do very well. We don't understand the fact that when we read Scripture, that's the Word of God speaking to you. Well, God never speaks to me. I hear all the time. How do you know when God is talking to you? I've, God never talks to me. Well, open your freaking Bible. He's talking to you. That's his word speaking to you. I'm sorry, was that rude? It's true. That's right. It is true. God is speaking to you. If you wonder what God is trying to say to you, open your Bible. Read it. 
That's his word speaking to you. And the Psalms are filled with short little phrases that will penetrate your heart. And this is God speaking. This is how to listen to, how to sit silent before God. It says in verse 62, verse 1, my soul, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. How do you wait in silence? What do you do when you're sitting there in silence? Think about what you've just read. Think about the beauty of God. Think about the majesty of God. Allow him to take your thoughts. Sit in silence before God. That's how. We don't know how to do it. First, we dwell and we meditate on him. Here's some statements, some questions to ask yourself prior to sitting in silence before God. Practical application for us. What is this psalm trying to get me to think about? What are these words, what is this particular phrase trying to get me to to think about? What is the character of God that's being revealed here? For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. For he only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. What is the character of God revealed in that statement? I shall not be greatly shaken. Think about it. This is you in silence before God, dwelling, meditating on who he is. What is the character of God that's being revealed here? What sort of benefit is it to me to know these things about God in the middle of my circumstance? What benefit is it to me in June of 2013 to realize that what I just heard about the revealed character of God, how does that impact me? How does that change how I view my world? This is you meditating on Scripture, learning what it means to be silent before God, thinking about who He is, allowing Him to shape your mind. And finally, stop, pause, and think about these things being true of God. This is the Word of God speaking to your life. Secondly, we don't know how. How do we do this? How do we sit silent before God? Read the Psalms. Read the Psalms. Each and every single Psalm. There's 150 of them. 150 of them. You could read one a day for three years. One a week for three years. Sorry. <laughs> you read one a week for three years. There's not 50 days in a, in a year. There's 52 weeks, almost. You could take a couple weeks off. Anyway, please forgive my nonsense. Uh, you could read one a week for three years, and, and each one has, a, has lots of phrases that will leap out of you. Psalm 119 has a whole bunch. Um, let it leap out of you and just allow a phrase to just sit and, and, and be your guide for like a month. Allow I will not be shaken to be your guide for a three months, for 2014, for a year, for a decade. These are the word of God speaking to your life. This is you being silent before God. Allow these phrases to explode in you. That, when I walked up here excited with that smile on my face, and what, the smile right now is, is that I know that God wants to speak to your lives through the Psalms through three simple little words. I don't even know what those words are, but God wants to speak to them into your life and to lodge his word deep in your heart so that when life presses in, when the tottering fence of life presses in, and when you value what you're not supposed to value, those words remind and ring in your brain. You find a journal from three years ago and open it up and you see, I will not be shaken in there. And you're reminded of the beauty of God. And you get so excited. 
God wants to do this to your life. He wants to weave this into the, the core of, this, of your soul so that you can rely upon his steadfast love, his unshakableness, his great nature, so that when the person that you don't want to love, you don't want to serve, and God calls you to, you have that to stand upon. God is glorious and beautiful and so much smarter than you. It's great. It'll put a smile on your face and make you want to preach. (laughs) Oh man, I hope I don't have to do that. I know you're actually thinking that. And here's the last thing for how to do this, how to sit silent before God. Just ask him to teach you. Many times in Scripture, this notion happens. You don't have because you don't ask. Back there, when you guys were all singing and stuff, Mickey and Eric walked in with cookies and, and, and brownies and set them down back there. And Mia and I were hanging out back there, worshiping together. Right? She looks at me and says, can I have a brownie? And I said, yes. <laughs> you don't have because you don't ask. She got to eat a brownie because she asked. God wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to show you how great he is. He wants to penetrate deep into your heart what it means to live life with the understanding that you will not be shaken. Ask him to do it. You don't have because you don't ask. Everybody, please, today, ask. Sure. (laughs) There's lots of brownies back there. Beautiful. That's perfect. Well done. I wish I would have thought of that and planted that. But that's well done, Sheridan. Thank you. That's great. We don't know how. The second reason that we don't sit silent before God, and this is like, get ready to wipe the smiles off your face because I'm about to hit you. We don't sit silent before God because we, don't, we know what we're going to find there. And we don't want to do it. We're going to find something out about God that we don't want to find out. God may be calling you to love someone you would rather not love. And you know that. And so you are not going to press into God because you're not going to let him feel bad, make you feel bad because you don't love this person. Or he may be calling you to serve someone you would just really rather not serve. It's much easier to serve myself or to serve the people that I like or serve the people that are next to me or serve the people that I want to like or that I want to like me. I'm really guilty of that style of service. I want this person to like me, so I'm going to serve them because when you serve someone, typically they, they like you, right? Thank you. Wow, that's great. A lot of times we don't sit silent before God because we know what he's going to say to us. He's going to call us to serve someone, to love someone we'd rather not love or serve. He also may be calling you to give something up that you'd really rather not give up. And this is, this is pressing in on, on us here, right? We're this new style church. The pastor wears jeans and the worship leader wears shorts. And we're, you know, we can go and be who we want to be and live in grace. But the fact of the matter is, God is a holy God, and he takes holiness very seriously. And we all know, if we press too hard into God, he might tell us to give something up that we would rather not give up. 
But if we really believe, if you really believe that valuing what the world values is a tottering fence, if you really believe that in God alone is your is steadfast love and it doesn't need to change to give you all the joy you could ever hope for, if you believe that, if you really believe that, press into him and allow him to tell you who to love, who to serve, what to give up. But we don't. We want to back up from it because we like our comfortable lives the way they are. I like this set of friends. I like what I do on the weekends. I love that. And, and I love everything about the little world that I've created for myself. So I'm not going to press any harder into God because I don't want any of that to change. Things are good. He also may be calling you to give something that you'd really rather keep for yourself. We don't press into God because we know what he's going to do. And here's, here's the fact. This psalm is begging us to stop listening to ourselves and start listening to God. You hear me? This psalm is begging us to stop listening to ourselves and start listening to God. We learn in our little worlds to turn down the volume of God when we want to. We don't sit in silence and we've turned down the volume of God because we like our lives being set up for comfort and joy and we wind up trusting ourselves for the things of this world and not him. Unchecked values, unchecked flesh will be like a tottering fence. Turn up the volume of God, sit and listen to him, meditate on the Psalms, ask him to teach you, ask him to speak to you, and then do what he says. The last thing we're afraid that we might find out about ourselves. We might find out something about God, we also might find out something about ourselves. Namely, sin. The less we stop and listen to God and really study who he is, the less we have his character revealed to our own hearts and to our own souls. The less we discover about our own sin. And here's the beautiful thing about, this is, this is really weird to come out of the mouth of a pastor on a, in a sermon. Sin can be a really, really good thing. Here's what happens. Sin and its effects and its stuff is miserable and awful and, got, and sent Christ to the cross. But what Satan intended for evil, God intends for good. And he can show us the sin in our lives. And when we press into who he is, when we listen to who he is, we're more aware of our sin. And that sin that we're more aware of makes grace abound. We see God more beautifully than we did yesterday. When, we, when you press into sin, when you Rip it from your life. When you ask God to rip it from your life, when you repent of your sin, when you come to grips with it, you see grace as bigger and your heart is more worshipful. It's like a trampoline. The deeper you bounce in your sin, the higher you jump and the more you understand the grace of God. And it gets wider it's, and wider and wider and the cross gets bigger and bigger and bigger and God is more beautiful today than he was yesterday because you apprehended your sin. Press into God. The result is God. 
This is what the psalm is begging us to do. Listen to him. Listen to what he's saying. Go with me to Psalm 62.8. The last thing that I want to hear, I want you to hear as before we worship. Trust in him. Trust in him. At all times. Our culture is really good at at using words that are absolute when we shouldn't use them absolutely. I never do this. Yeah, you do. Sometimes you do that. Here, this, the absolute is here for a purpose. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Let that ring in your brain. I, I pray that Psalm 62.8 would be memorized by you. I, when I hand you the bulletin next time I see you, it would like do my heart so much good if you spit this back at me. And the thing is, I'm not going to be here for the next two weeks. You really got, you can't just learn it this week and come back on this Sunday. You got to, in three weeks, I want, I want to hand you the bulletin. All right? Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge to us. Let's pray and respond to this holy God. Father, we thank you so much for your greatness. We thank you so much for your mercy and your hope and your peace and your joy and your love and your steadfast love that we will not be shaken. God, I pray that the arrow of Psalm 62 would lodge deeply into our hearts And we would not be changed, or we would be changed, and not be shaken, and fully understand who you are. God, guide us now as we worship, as we respond to you. Father, we are grateful, so grateful for your son. So grateful for his sacrifice on the cross that brings us into relationship with you. In Christ's perfect name, amen.